are excited to welcome you to another episode of Live to Give More. We will discuss ways to have impact in our communities and around the world. We will introduce our audience to inspiring ideas and people who are making significant changes. Together, we will navigate how we can all better serve others and spread kindness. We decided to create this podcast in order to do our part and give our listeners ways to take action and be the change. My name is Anna G. Ehrlich. I'm a wife, mom, marketing and events professional who serves the nonprofit world in many capacities. I am better when I'm able to improve the world. My name is Elise Shekbanwit, and I am a wife, mom, attorney, author, and business owner who has been fortunate to serve in leadership roles and volunteer opportunities through several nonprofit organizations. My motto is, give more than you take. We are friends who have a variety of experiences, skills, and opinions that will make you think, cry, and smile, but most importantly, expose you to special ways to give back. We will inform you about what is going on in the world and what you need to know about how to make a difference. So let's get started. Boca Helping Hands, or BHH, is a community-based nonprofit that provides food, medical, and financial assistance to meet basic human needs, as well as education, job training, and guidance to create self-sufficiency. Through its various programs, BHH assists over 27,000 people annually. In 2021, BHH distributed more than 70,000 pantry bags from five Palm Beach County locations and served nearly 80,000 hot meals. It's amazing. The organization expands access to affordable medical, dental, and behavioral care through its partnerships. In addition, it sends weekend meals home with food insecure elementary school students via the Backpacks program and serves 12 schools across South Palm Beach County. The BHH Resource Center provides emergency financial assistance to residents in crisis to help with rent, overdue utilities, and the rising cost of childcare through the Children's Assistance Program. With an increased focus on client self-sufficiency, BHH awards scholarships for qualified candidates to attend accredited vocational training classes that prepare them for careers in healthcare, information technology, construction, and transportation industries. You also, you cover everything here. You also offer free English as a second language classes and courses in health and wellness, financial management, and other life skills classes. Staff and volunteer mentors counsel the unemployed and underemployed in basic workplace skills and help them polish resumes and search for jobs. Is there anything you don't do? It's amazing. (laughs) So what an incredible organization. We are so excited to interview you today. So our guest today is Greg Hazel, Executive Director of Boca Helping Hands. Greg grew up in his native Jamaica and migrated with his family to Florida in 1985. He received his undergraduate degree in chemical engineering from the University of West Indies and an MBA in finance from the University of Miami. He has had an extensive corporate career in the public utility independent energy, mining and construction materials industries. He has served as a senior executive in various functions in a number of Fortune 500 companies. His corporate roles have included process engineering, 
corporate finance, strategic planning, and project development. Greg is married, and he and his wife, Tina, have two daughters, Ebony and Tara. The family has lived in Boca Raton since 1993, and he has been a member of the board of directors of Boca Helping Hands since 2014. He has been the executive director since 2017, and in his spare time, Greg enjoys golf, soccer, and music. And I'm not sure how much spare time you have, Greg, because if I just <laughs> read that, you know, that resume with all the good you have done and you do, and I'm sure that you are just getting started. So welcome, so, welcome to our podcast. We're so happy to interview you. So anyway, uh, Greg, thank, thank you, you so much, much Thanks for having me today to talk about Boca Helping Hands, and we want to hear more about you and how we can become more aware of what you do and take action. So first of all, what inspired you to start working for Boca Helping Hands? I can't attribute that to any inspiration that I had. <laughs> As you mentioned in my bio, I was on the board for since 2014. And when the last executive director left, members of the board asked me to serve in this capacity on an interim basis. Five years later, I'm still here. So this was definitely not a something that I planned. You know, it, it's one of those doors that of opportunity that opened for me. And when I stepped in, I very much enjoyed the experience I was having leading this team and being in the nonprofit space for the first time. And that's why I'm still here. That's inspiration enough. So tell us a little bit about the organization's mission and how many people are you currently serving through your programs and projects? So as you mentioned in the intro, you know, our mission statement kind of has two components. One is helping people meet their basic needs by providing food, medical, and financial assistance. And the second one is helping people to achieve self-sufficiency through our job training and mentoring operations or, or programs. And at the time, developed this mission statement, the idea really was that the difference between people needing just to focus on basic needs and self-sufficiency was whether or not they had a job. Over time, that definition has been blurred somewhat, and it's a, it's a grayer distinction between self-sufficiency and needing to meet basic needs. So these days, what we find is that most of our clients are working people. In other words, they already have jobs, but they are not self-sufficient. Okay. Their jobs do not pay them enough for them to meet all their needs. So it's a little bit of a, the distinction between the two aspects of our mission statement are now more blurred than they were when we created that mission statement. No, I, I understand that. So a sort of like a follow up question to that is, so how do you help them empower? You know, how do you help empower the community? to while they have that job and still not fully self-sufficient, what are the empowering projects that, that help bridge that gap? So that I think would apply mainly to what we're trying to do on the job training program. Okay. The job training program really is a matter of convincing people that there is a path to self-sufficiency. There is a path that will allow them to improve their earning potential and you know, live more independent lives. That's easier said than done because people exactly. end up end <laughs> easier up said than done. Exactly. People end up trapped in jobs that don't pay them enough. And that's really one of the challenges that we have is designing a program that will allow somebody who is 
employed who has obligations, who has a rent, you know, rent payments and so on to devote the next six months, nine months to a training program that will lead to a better job. Right. Let me ask you a question about that. So during the pandemic and people were unfortunately jobless because of the situation, everything that was going on, were there opportunities, were there pockets where people were able to take maybe online courses? Did that happen in order to, you know, because then some people had that time. I think what we're seeing is kind of a delayed response to that area. Okay. I think most people who in, in the recovery from the pandemic went back to jobs that they had before here in Palm Beach County. And, you know, I'm sure throughout Southern Florida, where there is a big hospitality industry, some of those jobs never came back. Okay. And we are now seeing some of those folks attempting to retrain themselves for the jobs that are available. So that's what we're seeing. Kind of a, the initial response of people who were severely affected by the pandemic was, I need something to eat. And so that was the program that was, that where we saw a big increase in demand. And now kind of the subsequent response, kind of the phase two response <laughs> is people looking to reestablish themselves in jobs that are either better than the ones they had or, you know, to get new jobs for, for jobs that have disappeared. That's amazing. And I'm really, I mean, I'm inspired and I'm really in awe of how it's not just like the food insecurity, but you're really looking at the whole person and the whole community. And this is really the best way to solve the issue. And it's amazing that you guys are doing what you're doing. So let me ask you a question. You're covering all these different bases from food insecurity to job training to everything in between, which is incredible. Tell us about your team of leaders. So that was really one of the inspiring things that I saw when I, you know, during my interim phase <laughs> was I was meeting a group of people that for me, who was coming from the for-profit world, they were unusual. They were unusual in the motives that they had for work, in the, the sacrificial way in which they worked. So that's the first thing is that these are a different quality of person <laughs> than you typically meet in the for-profit world. You mean, are you referring to the people who are already working with you? Yes, I'm referring to the leaders that were here at the time, you know, the people who I was now being tasked to lead. We are organized primarily by program. So I have direct reports that run our food programs, that run our training and career programs, and that run the financial assistance programs. And then obviously you need people in the support functions in, you know, development and fundraising and in their financial management and communications. I would say that they're all highly talented. A lot of them are transitioning from for-profit jobs, just like I am. But these are people who are all committed to the idea that's reflected in the motto that you express that you have for yourself, Elise, you know. They all want to give more than they take. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's amazing. And so, like, what is your leadership style? You have all these different people who seem phenomenal. What's your leadership style? And how do you continue to inspire them to do what they're doing? The word I would think of that what I'm trying to accomplish in, you know, the style that I employ, first of all, is being an authentic person. Okay. I don't want people to think that I have that I come to work and I'm some different person than the person that they would meet 
on the soccer field <laughs> or, or in the supermarket. So authenticity is a big thing for me. The second thing is accessibility. I, you know, I, my, my style probably would be described by the people who I work with as being informal, but that is to make sure that people think of me as being accessible, that, you know, they can walk into my office and, and bring me the issues that they want me to address. So those I think would be the, you know, accessibility and authenticity, I think would be the characteristics that I, we don't always hear that, so I can really appreciate that. And I, I think it's obviously helping the organization. So, well, you know what? As a CEO, it shows that you're in it together and that what, you know, that their problem or their, what they're going through is just as much theirs as it is yours. And to have that as a supervisor, you know, is incredible because the burden doesn't completely fall on them and there's somebody there to share that with. So that's a great, that's a great trait and a great way to lead a team. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> it is. It's a great Absolutely. Idea. So give us some important rates. I know that we discussed when we were reading the bio and before the intro, some numbers, but give us a little bit, a few, a few rates that would help our audience understand the scope of what you guys really cover. Sure. So maybe the most significant uh, statistic is the, the level, the degree of food insecurity in our county. And right now, and this has actually been an improvement since the pandemic, it is estimated that somewhere around 200,000 people in Palm Beach County are experienced food insecurity. That doesn't mean that they are hungry all the time, okay? It, it means that they can't rely, they're unsure where their next meal comes from, will come from. They may have to make sacrifice in other areas of need to feed themselves, Okay. The part of that that affects me the most is the number of children that are in that category. Okay. So it's estimated that somewhere around 60,000 or children, um, you know, that are going to school around us are in that category. And so you mentioned in the introduction that we have this weekend feeding program with schools. Even though we're feeding now 1,600 kids every week in 12 schools, it still feels to me like a drop in the bucket when you know that it's 60,000 kids out there. Exactly. So that's, that's one of the things that we are, that I'm hopeful that we can find ways of expanding. Yeah. I think that's really helpful to our audience to understand the magnitude of food insecurity, not just in your area, but in, in most areas in the United States. So thank you for shedding a light on that. Absolutely. So I guess a follow up to that is, so what are the biggest challenges and obstacles that you face as a community leader? How do we get that drop from that drop in the bucket to really being a big splash? I think that people who are in this kind of um, service really struggle against stereotypes. Okay. I think there is a cultural stereotype against people who need help. Okay. You know, there's a cultural priority placed on being able to help yourself not fully understanding, just like I described, most of these people are working, okay? They end up, in my opinion, trapped in jobs that aren't paying a living wage. So I think the stereotype of the person in need is one of the things that we struggle against, just convincing the community that they deserve help, you know, that they're worthy of um, being recognized of dignity and all of that kind of human consideration of the people that we serve. So there's also a stereotype associated with our community. Boca Raton is considered to be the place of 
uh, gated communities and country clubs. <laughs> so, you know, the idea that there is another side of the tracks here in, here in our city and in Palm Beach County, which is one of the most affluent counties in the country, is also one of those stereotypes that we end up having to combat. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. And it's a yeah. great perspective. And, and thank you for sharing that. So what inspires you? Like, why do you keep doing what you're doing? Who do you admire the most? Are there any particular community leaders that you can mention? Well, I, I think what I described about the reason why I'm still here after being invited to be the interim leader <laughs> is still the reason I'm here. It's still the, the source of inspiration for me. And is, you know, in the for-profit world, your mission is to enrich shareholders. That pales in comparison to helping people change life, helping to change people's lives. So it's a much more satisfying type of work. And I, like I said before, I think the people that you end up working with in the nonprofit world are just a higher quality of human being. Obviously, one of the differences between the nonprofit world and the for-profit world is that a lot of the other people who are in your space, you end up collaborating with rather than competing with. And so, you know, I really enjoy working together with my fellow, you know, we have a, a Palm Beach County nonprofit chamber of, you know, I'm a, I'm a board member on that organization. And so I get to interface and interact and network with a lot of uh, my fellow leaders. And I admire all of them. I admire especially those people who are working with the disabled community because there is a, a limit I think, to which you can change the life of a person who is disabled. Those people are committed to changing those lives to the extent that they can. So I don't want to name any special names because these are all, <laughs> uh, these are all inspiring people. <laughs> so a lot of good stuff. So tell us a little bit about what's next, any big projects coming up, the goals. How do you ensure that your goals are bold enough? How do you keep innovation alive and moving forward in your organization? That's uh, kind of a double-edged sword. You know, I have a mission statement. We want to be committed to our mission. We don't want to engage in mission creep, <laughs> so to speak. Okay. And so it's important for us to stay on this, the strategic direction that we've decided. However, what we've been doing in the last couple of years is expanding that same mission. Um, and we've been doing that in a couple of different ways. One is we've, we've grown the geographic footprint of our programs. And so where a number of our programs used to be confined or only accessible to residents of Boca Raton, we've now made all of the programs accessible to people throughout Palm Beach County. So we're still Boca helping hands, but our hands are reaching much further outside of our city and, you know, throughout the county. We've also been expanding the impact of the programs. So I just mentioned to you one of the things that we're doing in our job training program. Whereas until last year, you know, we were providing scholarships to our uh, job training students that paid for tuition and books and all the, the costs of um, training. Now we're realizing that just to go to class, they may need additional financial support in childcare or housing or transportation. And so things that people don't always think about. Exactly. 
right. you know, not, not necessarily include, yeah, I have the money to pay for tuition. You have but the I money can't. to pay for school, but what about exactly. everything else? And exactly. Who takes care of my people. kid? Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So that's, that's one of the things that our board has approved. So that's, that's been the focus and, um, our strategic priority really is to continue increasing the number of people that we can help in our training and career program. That's what we are hoping we will accomplish in the next couple of years. You know what? When I was reading your bio yesterday, it makes a lot of sense. And I want to commend you on something. Strategic planning is key. You know, it's key for any organization, but specifically for nonprofits. Because sometimes the goal is so big and there's so much you want to do. But if there isn't a plan and a path set that people can really stick to, it doesn't get accomplished. And there's a lot of money raised to accomplish these goals. But you keep saying, you know, strategic plan and strategic plan. And I want to commend you for that because that really, that will set you apart and not only set you apart, you know, organizational wise, but it will benefit the recipients that much more because they will be getting the very best of, of what you guys are putting together. So Congratulations on that. Yeah. Congratulations. I mean, you're really covering so many different issues. It's, it's really inspiring. So is there like a motto or quote that gets you through the day? Like when you wake up in the morning and you're like, not really into it, like what gets you to go to work and what gets you to continue to inspire, you know, all of your employees and all the people that you are serving? You know, I, I feel as if I'm going to adopt the model that you told me this morning. Oh, my. I'm honored. <laughs> right. Privileged. Right. No, you know, we always like to say that we are in the good neighbor business. Okay. And that's not necessarily a motto, but it, there's a big, I don't know how familiar you are with scripture and that kind of stuff, but your motto actually reminds me of a passage of scripture that says it is more blessed to give than to receive. And people think of that as just being kind of a platitude until you actually start giving and realize that it's true. You know, not, not just what it does to you emotionally, but your whole life, I think, is the purpose that you feel that your life serves is a much more, it's much more meaningful when you adopt that approach to life. I hope everyone who hears this is inspired by this because it's really important. I love quotes. So I, I just wrote this all down. So thank you for that inspiration. All right. So tell us a little bit about yourself. We know that you play, you like golf, you like soccer. Do you play recreationally? Do you play in leagues? With what time? You know, <laughs> what time? I, I have no idea. Like, how do you ever, ever see a soccer ball? He, you know what? He's a strategic guy. So I'm exactly, sure exactly. you strategically insert that time for you to let loose. So tell us a little bit about that. So I don't know if you know any golfers, but golf is more than a game to a person who is committed to golf. It's kind of like a mental illness. Okay. <laughs> so it's <laughs> a good way to look at it. Right. So my, I have that mental illness. So I play quite a bit of golf on weekends. I still play soccer here in Boca. We actually have a lot of adult soccer opportunities at night. We have a lot of city parks that are lit. And so on a Monday night and our Thursday night, I'm still out playing soccer with, with age appropriate teammates. We know about that. So that's good to know that you guys, that you make that time for yourself because it's really important. So what's your advice to your 21 year old self? 
eat more vegetables, I think. <laughs> right. well, we have not heard that one before. I'm writing that one down. I would have said the same thing. <laughs> right, right. Eat more vegetables. And that girl that you're dating, get married to her. Okay. Good. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I have to tell my sons that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> 40 years later, that advice still makes a difference. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. So part of our podcast is to share with our audience how they can become involved, tell us about volunteer, other, other opportunities, and possible action steps we can take to move your cause forward. What opportunities do you think that people listening to our podcast could participate with? Well, Again, a big part of the team that I work with here are our volunteers, okay? You know, we have a staff of uh, 23 people, but something like 300 volunteers help us perform all the services that we've just spoken about. So there are a lot of opportunities for people of all skill levels, all age levels, <laughs> to help us do the work that we do. A lot of that would be helping us in our food distribution program, helping us in our warehouses, helping us prepare our meals, helping us prepare the pantry bags and helping us distribute them in the, the five locations that we distribute. But we also need ex-professionals, people who have skills to pass along to people who are entering, you know, the workplace for the first time or entering new jobs for the first time. So there are opportunities for people to be job mentors. In our financial assistance program, there are we, there's a lot of opportunity for people to help process the requests that we receive, you know, assess the needs that people have and make decisions on whether or not those cases are eligible for financial support. So there are all kinds of opportunities. Obviously, people can contribute financially at any time. People can we try to make giving as easy as possible. Okay, If they go to our website, there are all kinds of ways in which people can contribute. We have an upcoming event, our annual Monopoly and Casino Night event here. in. That sounds in, like fun. That is always fun. Okay. And so, you know, people have an opportunity to attend that and have a good time while they're contributing to our cause. So a lot of information is on our website at bocahelpinghands.org. We're People can learn how to participate in the work that we do. Perfect. So become an advocate to support any programs offered by the Boca Helping Hands. Once again, Greg just gave out the website, which is bocahelpinghands.org. And there are obviously many opportunities to participate. So to all of our listeners, this is for you. Pick at least one thing to do this week and tell us about it in our Instagram account. You can follow us at live to give more. This has been, Greg, a super insightful and helpful conversation. Thank you so much for teaching us today about Boca Helping Hands and what we can do to help and inspiring us to continue to do these interviews so that we can help get all these messages out and tell the incredible stories that you're telling us and hopefully get everybody involved. Yeah, Greg, this has really been inspiring. And I just thank you for your time and keep doing what you're doing and I'm sure you're inspiring so many different people to do the same. So thank you, Greg. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure talking with y'all.